This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. All right, it is Monday. You know what that means. Vancouver Hockey Now writer Rob Simpson stopping by. Robert, happy holidays. This is the first time we're doing this in 2022. How was the new year for you? Fantastic, Roberto. Uh, happy New Year to you and all of your listeners and viewers and fans. Um, it was a it was wonderful. I was in uh, Seattle. I was at the game. I was, stayed with some friends and um, enjoyed the whole ringing in of the new year. Well, I want you to know to use a uh, Roberto Luongoism. I was pumping your tires during a New Year's gathering that I was at because I said, you know, I interview this guy every week, Rob Simpson, and everything that he has said is somehow coming to fruition, including the reference to the St. Louis Blues, who bumbled and stumbled for the first 20, 25 games of their season, made a coaching change, and all of a sudden became Stanley Cup champions. Now, I'm not going to put Vancouver in that boat yet, but 8-0-1 he's making a lot of people in this market say, boy, this could be interesting. It's pretty remarkable. And and you can go back, you know, two seasons prior to that with the Pittsburgh Penguins as well, when they fired Mike Johnston and hired Mike Sullivan and Sidney Crosby decided he'd start playing hockey again. So two instances in recent times. And yes, you are very wise, uh, Rob, not to jump the gun and assume that that's where this path is headed. But you know what? It makes things a hell of a lot more interesting. It makes things a hell of a lot more entertaining. We get whatever those little things in your body, the, is it endorphins, whatever the things that are- They are, make, yes. Make people feel good as opposed to make people feel crappy. I'm all for that. I'm all for happy over sad. So this is great for the uh, Vancouver Canucks fans who, believe me, December 1st, when, this, when, it, when we hit December 1st, we're thinking, oh my God, are we really going to have to sit through this the rest of the way? And guess what? No, they didn't have to. You start standing watching which is something I was almost ready to shelve until next year. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I look at the wild card, and Vancouver's in a three-way tie alongside San Jose and Winnipeg, two back at Los Angeles, and three back at Colorado and Edmonton. Now, games in hand aside, how good is that for the psyche of the city of Vancouver to at least be able to check the standings and not just completely get bummed out? I have fun. I've always had fun with that. I don't care what time of year it is. It's kind of neat to just look at the ladder, uh, look at the tables as they call them overseas and say, okay, where are we? Where are we? And what does it mean if we win this next one? Or what happens if we win the next two? And when I say we, I mean for the fans and for the folks in the city that are following the Vancouver Canucks. They're tied with San Jose right now. They're tied for sixth place. San Jose has a game in hand. In fact, I wrote about it this morning, kind of spelling out how the week looks now that the Canucks aren't playing until Saturday. I mean, their Wednesday games postponed. They'll practice. They already practiced today. They got some conditioning in. They practice Tuesday, Wednesday. Gabby said they'll probably give them a day off Thursday. They'll practice again Friday, and then they have the game Saturday. In that time, you know, they they could actually move up based on games played. I mean, Edmonton plays two very difficult games during that window. They're at the Rangers tonight, Monday night. They're at the Toronto Maple Leafs, I believe, on Wednesday. They are only three points ahead of Vancouver. Once they've played those two games and the Canucks have sat out, there's no more games in hand. And you can say the same thing for the LA Kings and the San Jose Sharks. So it'll be kind of true blue 
across the board when you start kind of saying, okay, who can we pick off next? And it's fun to be able to do that. Who cares? You don't have to wait till March. You can do that in January. So I want to talk about Elias Patterson because he's a guy that for some reason just continues to get dragged through the cycle of should we trade him? Should we keep him? I mean, there's no doubt that this guy's an elite level player or at least has shown flashes of being an elite level player. Two goals in his past 11 games. The most he's had is three shots on net in those 11 game stretches. A lot of ones and twos. I thought he was kind of turning the corner, but the last four games, he's kind of receded a little bit. What do you make of Elias Pettersson this year? It's a little bit of a mystery. It's tough. It's, it's you know, we're seeing it. We just heard um, Thatcher Dempko talk about the mental part of the game in a little media availability after practice today. We hear about it a ton. I mean, Bruce Boudreaux has been, you know, talking about it the whole time since he's been here, what confidence can do for you. And I'm just not sure that Elias Pettersson has ever really reestablished that confidence level. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with a wrist injury. I don't think it has anything to do with COVID. I think it just has to do with him getting his brain back together with his body and getting his feet moving faster than his hands and not overthinking it. But you are exactly right. Um, I had a, I had a fellow media cohort here at the practice today bring up the fact that, yeah, the last three games have been pretty stinky for uh, Elias Pettersson. Um, not a whole lot going on. He had one shot in the game against Seattle. And that's a game in which the Canucks played very, very well. Two shots in LA and three shots in Anaheim. So that's sick, sick, averaging two per game. And that's, you know, simply not enough. He did pick up an assist along the way there, but is he an, an enigma wrapped in a contradiction? I don't, <laughs> good way to I don't know. I, I can't describe it because I can't climb inside the kid's head, but you know, when, and, and I've heard people refer to, to trade references that might be a huge error in judgment to jump the gun on something like that. And plus his contract's not that long. So you could let this play out a little bit. It's not like you're sitting on a guy who's got a five, six, seven year deal right now that is struggling. You kind of look at those things two different ways. You know, Pedersen was born in 98. And I remember right around that time, the Sedin twins arrived in Vancouver with the two and three pick. And in the first couple of years, they got absolutely ripped. They were too light. They were too flimsy. They weren't going to be true bonafide NHL stars. And then they go on to essentially become Hall of Fame players. The reason I bring them up, not just because of the Sweden connection, is because when you're struggling and you're the twins, you have your brother. And I'm sitting here yeah. with Pedersen, and I'm wondering who is he leaning on? Because Daniel and Hendrick, Hendrick had Daniel, are those guys upstairs working with Elias Pettersson, like who's he leaning on during these lean times? I think he's leaning a lot on his, the Swede connection is strong and is important. Um, Niels Hoaglander, I, I asked PD about it last week. In fact, we, we got into a little media deal with him. He says he's helping Hoagie and Hoagie's helping him. I mean, they, they're out on together after practice pretty much every day, shooting pucks together. You can hear him talking Swedish. Uh, and, and PD's not saying, Hey, I'm helping the younger guy. I mean, let's face it, they're both young guys, mm -hmm. but he's saying it's a two-way street uh, and they rely a lot on each other. Oliver Ekman Larson said, you know, he's around to encourage as well as a Swedish guy. I, I don't really think PD has a connection geographically to the Sedins. When I asked him about his heroes, he brings up Peter Forsberg. He doesn't so much bring up the Sedins. Obviously he admired them, mm -hmm. but you know, they're not from necessarily his neck of the woods and they're not necessarily the first guys that pop into his head. I'm sure he obviously has a great deal of respect for them. And I don't know how much he converses with them. 
but he definitely does work with with Hoagie and and uh, Oliver Ekman Larson, and I just think he's trying to work through this by working harder and harder and harder every day as much as he can. If it ever came down to the to the point where he was so uncomfortable and potentially miserable and concerned, I think he might ask for a trade. Right? He could always say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to talk to Pat Purcell, my agent, and maybe we can do something behind the scenes and." move on. But I don't think he's there. I think he wants to play here. I think he's enjoying winning with this hockey team. It's nice that if he's going to slump a little bit, that the team is winning and uh, he can focus on both things moving forward together. I don't know where it came from. I don't know if this is just Canuck Twitter or if it was somebody that actually said that Jim Rutherford isn't necessarily all in on Elias Pettersson right now. It's a bold statement to say about a president who's just sizing up the organization, but how long would it take for an executive to come in, sit down at the desk, shuffle around some papers, look important, and all of a sudden say, you know what, that guy isn't the kind of guy that I want around here? It would take longer than, say, one, two, three weeks. That's for sure. And also, as we kind of bandied about here at practice today, just shooting the breeze in the stands watching, what a gigantic mistake you could could potentially be making if this young guy finds his game again. I mean, holy crap, you'd be regretting it for the rest of your days. So you got to be awfully careful with that um, because, you know, I just referenced Crosby in, in the 2015-16 season. It was like we thought his career was over. It's happened before to bigger names, and it's maybe happening now to Pedersen. And he showed some bright spots, but God, to give up on a guy uh, because of a bad two and a half months would be a colossal error if he finds his game. You sure the hell wouldn't want him to find it somewhere else. And that's possible, which is the the dance that you always do when you put a trade together. All right, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the NHL because there's a lot of stories, uh, you know, top to bottom. I just really quickly want to touch on the postponements. Before we get into players and teams and situations, this generalized postponement was something that hit a nerve with a couple of our listeners when Mm -hmm. you mentioned that there could be a correlation between the schedule getting tampered down and it had to do with the Olympic Games. Now that we're into the new year and we're still seeing Minnesota, Ottawa, Carolina, Toronto, postponed, postponed, postponed. What do fans in Canada make of this when everything south of the border is going fine and dandy and up here we're still battling with no fans, some fans, are we playing tonight? Are we not playing tonight? Is there really smoke and fire or is that just a conspiracy theory? There's so many elements to this. And when you think about part of it, it makes you, it gets you pissed off. Right. And then when you part of, when you think of another element to it, you're kind of like, okay, I get it. I mean, cause COVID is, it's just been an ongoing, anything from a disaster to an annoyance. When you think about the Olympics being canceled and that, and, and that schedule, that area, that time on the calendar freeing up and the thought that, oh, guess what? We're going to postpone a game this Wednesday so we can throw it in later in the season so we can get 100% capacity instead of 50% capacity. You're like, ooh, ooh, greedy owner. But really, the players need the revenue as well. The, the, the players are in debt in escrow based on the money that's been lost hockey-related revenue, HRR, uh, based on COVID, that they have to pay back. And they're going to be paying down that debt for years because technically everything is shared 50-50 between the owners and the players. So it's in the players' and the owners' best interest to make as much money as you can and have 100% capacity instead of 50% capacity. And as it relates to teams coming in, you'll notice that the Islanders are a U.S.-based team Um, If you have a certain number of positive COVID tests and people going through protocol, it becomes more complicated when crossing borders. 
So you'll notice that the Islanders game was canceled or postponed Wednesday, but the Ottawa game is still on Saturday. And that's because they're coming from within Canada. So that the, the issues are way less extreme, less pain in the ass, um, less technicalities. So game on. Um, so there's that. I, I mean, there's just so many little pieces of this puzzle. I mean, we still have Brock Besser uh, down in, in uh, California. Well, I don't know if he's actually in California at this point, but you know, having to wait things out in the United States before he can come up to Canada and rejoin the team and then probably have to go through a waiting period once he gets here. So that that's just another example of the complication if you're doing U.S. over Canada or intra-Canada. So, I mean, you can go on and on. It's just, it's, it's just COVID. It's a nightmare. I'm thinking, and I brought this up today after practice to the boys here that were sitting here. I said, you know, is this in three weeks, are we going to be, maybe this Omicron thing now is it's turning into the common cold and we'll be into some level of normalcy and maybe we'll have 100% capacity before the end of January. I'm thinking we will. I'm confident. Uh, I really quickly want to talk about the Olympics because now that the NHL is pulled out, it is hard for me not to use the phrase, quote, replacement players. And I'm trying to think where Team Canada and where these, you know, powerhouse teams are going to draw from their talent pool. Like, for example, you could think of the NCAA players, but maybe their schools aren't going to let them go. You think of the AHL and some of those players aren't going to be able to go because they might get called up. How do you tape together a team to go and represent Canada in Beijing? You tape it together with mostly players playing overseas, uh, guys that are playing in the in the KHL guys that are playing maybe in Germany, guys that are playing in the Swiss league, guys are playing in Sweden. So it's a glorified Spengler cup then. Yeah. (laughs) It's a mixed bag, but you'll (laughs) notice I I put together uh, as a separate entity. I do this thing called hockey wanderlust. It's it's, uh, every Thursday and Sunday. I would do it with a guy, right? Aristo Pakarainen in Stockholm. And every single edition at the near the bottom has the top scores from various leagues and there's Canadians mixed into practically all of them. So you pluck those top scores from Liga in Finland or from Sweden or from, uh, you know, wherever, uh, and, and that's going to ultimately be the team. And then there might be some youngsters that come over from North America, but I actually had read somebody went already did the task. I'm sure more than one guy has already done the task of kind of putting together that hypothetical. I read it, I don't know, 10 days ago. I've been busy since when traveling around with the Canucks here. But, um, you know, these rosters have kind of already hypothetically been built out, and it's mostly guys that are based in Europe. Does that sexy it up? Are, are people <laughs> in Canada going to get pumped up about this? I mean, no, uh, we're it's going to be. It's going to be Pyeongchang all, all over again. It's obviously not best on best. And, you know, let's look at it this way. Germany made the final four years ago. So it opens the door. It actually makes it for some of us. And I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. Obviously, I want to see the NHLers, but it's kind of interesting. You know, 1980, the miracle on ice for USA never happens if this, this, if this NHL thing's going on. Germany's never, they're not in the final if this is going on. So it does kind of make it more intriguing for some of the other countries because uh, the upset special is a slightly more likely. Not to say that the NHL guarantees anything, their participation, because in 2006 in Torino, it was a complete disaster in the U.S. and Canada, I think, finished seventh and eighth respectively or eighth and seventh. And it was a Swedish finish final. So, I mean, it's gonna, it can happen either way. 
but this opens the door a little bit, you know, it'd, it'd be fun to see like team Slovakia, you know, come up and bite somebody in the butt, which I think they actually had a real good run in, uh, in they Vancouver did. and yep. finished uh, played for the bronze medal, uh, in Vancouver in 2010. So, you know, it can happen any time, but it's more likely to happen without NHL players. All right. Very quick. And by the way, that Slovakian team was kind of like the uh, media sweetheart. There were a lot of people that got on board that train just because it was so out of left field. Um, you were just down in Seattle with the Kraken. And I was reading an interesting article about the expectation that the Kraken fans had based on what they saw in Vegas. And obviously it is not the same start out of blocks for the Kraken as it was for the Golden Knights. But is that a bad team or is that just a poorly assembled team? Oh, uh, boy, that's two kind of different concepts. I don't know if it's a poorly assembled team. I just don't think they had the opportunity to do the things that Vegas had the opportunity to do five years ago. And uh, I mean, structurally, it might have been similar, but general managers around the league weren't caught off guard mm. by some of the deals that Vegas was able to pull off back then. And it, they just didn't, they just didn't have, they don't have the talent base. And then is it a bad team kind of more infers while you have the talent, you're just not getting it done. And maybe your coach, uh, you know, Dave Haxtell is not the answer. I mean, that's too early to say um, in that regard, they're just, they're just not very good. They're not very deep. I mean, when I, when I walked into the building the other day, I'm watching these guys in the skate. I'm like, okay, these, you know, it's just, they're just not very, they're not very good. They're not very deep. They're not, their special teams aren't a giant threat. I mean, you can just go down through the list. They're, they're just not, they're just not there yet. And it's going to take some time. It's more of a throwback to the older days of, of expansion hockey. Um, And, and something popped in my head coming out of your last question, by the way, Mm. that I want to throw out there. One of the darlings, 2010 Slovakian hockey, none other than Yaroslav Halak. I'm a Yarrow fan, by the way. I, I can tell. You, I, you, I've said I, that over I, a couple I do of like times. You, yeah. Okay, so I want to finish up with this one really quickly. 38,000 and change. Watch the Wild and the Blues fight it out in minus 5.7 degree Fahrenheit temperature. Just so people know, that's what? Minus 25 or something like that? I mean, they played their asses off, but that is the coldest game since the Heritage Classic at Commonwealth Stadium back in 2003. Zero degrees is what they had it back then. There is playing for fun. There is playing for respect. <laughs> there is playing for the, the the cameras. What is it like as a player when you go out from that tunnel and it's minus 25, minus 30? Should the NHL do that? Oh, that's a good question. Um if, as long as the players don't mind, hell yeah, why not? I mean, I, I've, I've worked a few of the um, winter classics. I've been outside at like rinkside for them, working them. Uh, I do recall, and usually the benches are heated and there are heaters around, like literally when they're sitting there, they're sitting at, it's like sitting in a heated car seat. Um, I know that the winter classic between the Leafs and Red Wings at the, at the big house, 105,000, that was freaking cold that day. Um, I mean, so there's, there have been other examples. Uh, you brought the heritage classic with Edmonton, right? Yes. I don't know if you remember that there's the hundredth anniversary game, Montreal and Ottawa played in Ottawa. Uh, that's the coldest 
that's the top three coldest I've ever been in my life. And I was out like, we couldn't watch the whole game. That's how cold that was. So I don't know if they consider that part of the winter classic record books, but holy crap, it was cold. And I, I, I figure if the players can play, let them play. And, and you know, you, you and I have both played team sports. We played outside. We played in the cold. Once your body gets acclimated and once the sweat starts to move a little bit and you start moving around, um, you don't even think about it because your, your engine is pumping. And it, what, what would suck for me, it's like getting out of a pool or getting out of the ocean. When the period ends, then you got to walk off and, you're, and the sweat dries and freezes on your body and then you walk back out. That's the part that would be the challenge. But again, once the engine starts hammering away, I don't think it's a problem. Yeah, minus 5.7 is minus 21 Celsius. And with the wind chill, it was minus 26, Ew. which is pretty. Uh, you better. Ha- you know what? Liquor me up. If you got enough <laughs> beer in me, I'll sit there and I'll sit. I'll stand right in the wind. But I bet the beer sales were through the ceiling that day. Hey, I, I'll tell you at that Ottawa game uh, a few years ago, 100th anniversary, I was with the Sirius XM crew and we were all so damn cold. We couldn't even hold a beverage. Like we were like, should we grab a drink? And we're like, we can't even, we've been spoiled. I've been in booths for like the big house. I ended up upstairs in the booth. So it was no big deal. But, but man, when you're outside, sometimes <laughs> forget drinking anything. You're just, you're just hugging yourself. Yeah. No kidding, man. Well, thank you for this. We didn't even touch on JT Miller or Thatcher Demko. There's so many avenues, but we'll save that for a rainy day. Maybe we'll catch up with you later this week because well, I won't put it out there too aggressively because I know the Canucks don't play for a week, but you're always welcome to stop by the sports bar. Well, let's put it this way, Rob. They've got practice. They just practice. They practice Tuesday. They practice uh, Wednesday. He's given them the day off Thursday. They practice Friday and then they got the game Saturday. So maybe we can do something on the off day Thursday or do something after their final practice of the week on Friday. Either way, I'm good. By the way, one other huge fan of Euro Halak. Yes. Bruce Boudreaux. Oh, do tell. Um, 2010, first round, top seed, Washington Capitals, seven-game series, Montreal Canadiens, Yaroslav Halak with one of the great goaltending performances of the last 25 years, uh, stood on his head to beat the Washington Capitals and start a long chain of years where um, Gabby and subsequent coaches couldn't get out of the early rounds with a very good Washington Capitals team. And they can blame Halak for that, that occurrence uh, now going on 12 years ago. I'm curious now that you've brought this up. What do you think a player like Yaroslav Halak's legacy is in the NHL? Will people remember him for those moments in his prime? Or will people say, ah, this is a guy that ended up kicking around with six, seven teams and, you know, didn't end up living up to the hype post, so to speak. Well, here's the remarkable thing is, uh, and he brought this up during training camp. He, this is a guy that should get to 300 wins and that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, he's 18 away. And if it was for, if his team could score some goals for him earlier in the season, he'd probably be close more like 15 away, but he still has 18 to go and he wants to get there. He's 36 years old. He's on a one-year deal. Um, who knows if he's still here at the end of the season or if he's back next season or if he's somewhere else, but he's a pretty damn good goaltender. And I was, Kevin Woodley's a guy who works for NHL.com and also has a goaltending website. He was telling me a couple of weeks ago that take away all the drama in some of these games, 
And Halak's numbers were just as good, if not better, than Demko's in certain categories when you break down the hardcore goalie analytics. I mean, he's been good. I think there was a stretch where they, the, his teammates scored him a grand total of five goals in four hockey games. I mean, he's playing good. He's playing great net and not getting any run support. So that was the big story. He's been good. Like, I think there's been one bad goal from Halak in all of his performances, maybe two. Two max, and one was when he was coming in as a mop up. And oh, some better of those... knock on wood. I remember that goal. I remember <laughs> the crappy, yeah. But anyway, a seven no. goal affair, if memory serves me correct. If, if he reaches, if he reaches three hundred wins, he'll be like any other goalie that's had a, a a real sound career that never won a Stanley Cup. That's that's ultimately what it comes down to: is his name on the chalice. Well, we'll see if we can get him one this year. Wouldn't that be something? Ooh, look at you. (laughs) All right, my friend. Thank you for this. Let's do it again maybe later this week. And again, Happy New Year to you. Thank you. You too. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.